This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Wow, it's so great to see people back. Are you glad to be back in, in church? Okay, church hasn't closed down for any, for if you didn't notice, we've been going all the way, we've been working harder than ever before, but now it's the first time we can gather again, but where two or three are gathered in my name, the Lord says, there I am in the midst of them. So we've been doing big groups for many weeks and uh, just gathering together in smaller groups and it's just great to be the church, I mean, but I think we've all been longing for fellowship and just the freedom to worship the Lord. You know, it's a long weekend, and this morning, this place was packed with families. I don't know where they all came from, but everybody was just saying, we're so glad. You know, I don't think any one of us will take it for granted, just the privilege of being able to worship together. So next week, remember, we're bringing food, not just for yourself, but for other people as well. And we're going to put our tables in the quad if the weather allows, and then we'll eat together and have a love feast and just a thanksgiving and connect with each other. And there is an arranged marriage club on the left. No, I'm joking. On the, no, no, okay. We're just enjoying life together. Okay. So we, we're busy with a series um, on time to humble ourselves. And the key scripture we did a couple of weeks ago, we find it in Philippians chapter 2. So we're going to talk in the next, in four weeks, we're talking through the book of Philippians, not really through it, but we're highlighting certain things as Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and there's a, there was a church that was under great persecution because of the Roman control. The Romans were very patriotic, and so here's this church that was very generous. Uh, they were suffering greatly for the gospel, and Ephroditus brought this gift, a love gift, a money gift to Paul while he was in prison, and, um, and then he sends this letter back to them, and he writes probably one of the most profound chapters we find in chapter 2, where he talks about the humility of Christ, and we all know that part at the end where it says, and because of Christ coming, uh, laying down his reputation, humbling himself, even to the point of death, becoming obedient, God has given him the name above every other name by which all people shall be saved, but every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Thank you for your enthusiasm over there. Okay, so, so we've been talking about this ugly thing called pride. And now it's going to get very quiet. Take your seatbelt. Fasten your seatbelt. Start repenting now, okay? Don't wait for the end of the service because it's, a, it's one that you, when you start off like this and you think like, oh, I wish Peter is here tonight. He must really hear this sermon. <laughs> then the sermon is for you, okay? <laughs> Don't think of somebody else that must be here because we... We are all, we all have pride, you know, and we all live in this place because <clears throat> pride brings an independence in our lives. It brings a self-righteousness. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that teaches us to be independent and to, to make your own world and build your own kingdom and, and then also worship God in the middle of it. 
And so pride is a, are rooted and as an open door in the, these things we spoke about it a little bit last week, if you were there, jealousy, striving, competition, unworthiness, shame, rejection, offense, misunderstanding, bitterness, isolation, loneliness, and accusation. Pride says, I can and will do it my way. I'm going to live independently from God and independently from other people. So if I'm perfect, then... I'm going to portray that. And that's what we do on the internet and Instagram. And we, uh, we don't really show people our weaknesses. We don't really are in a culture where we can actually boast in our weaknesses. Uh, humility is not to think of yourself less, but to think less of yourself. Now, that's, I, I got the quote from somebody else. I wish I, it was my quote, but it's not my quote. Okay, so in any case. So <clears throat> it's... It's when we esteem the interest of others above ourselves. And so pride, God resists prideful people. And we live in a town full of pride because the first thing when you come is people ask you like, hey, what are you studying? What school are you at? Where did you come from? You know, if you come from Gray or Paul Ruiz or another school, you don't even ask the question. They, they will tell you. I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. But um, just the way they walk, you know. Um, and... And there's, there's some things we can be proudful of, or, but it, it's not necessarily negative, but pride, the moment when you think you are superior to others, or when you think you are inferior to others, you also have pride. It's not just superiority. It's not just when you think you are better than others, but when you think you are less than others, or you are less valuable than others, you will also struggle with pride. And so... We're going to start to look at humility, and um, first I want to tell a story because we're going to, we're going to look a bit, and, and maybe if we get time tonight, look at some, some things of, of, of especially the church in the Middle East. But um, a couple of years ago, uh, I've told parts of the story, but we were uh, going to the nation of Iran, and it took us seven years, seven or eight years that we prayed to go there, and it was, um, was quite tough. Because you, you don't, it's not just like you sign up at flight center to go to Iran, you know. <laughs> it's not like, like, oh, where do I go to for holiday? It's very difficult to get a visa. And um, after eight or nine years of, of praying, the Lord finally opened the door. The first time we got a visa and then it was rejected five days before we left. And then the next year we actually went. And so, so it's so funny if you have this perception of a place that you're going to and then you're like, when you get there, you realize like, oops, wrong notebook. I googled the wrong Google, you know. Because <laughs> what we did, it was actually quite funny. We're a group of guys, and we decided that we're going to grow our beards, you know. Because that's what Muslim guys look like. Like, William. William, William come here, quickly. <laughs> now, now, this is genuine. This is, this is not fake. <laughs> <laughs> Come stand here. Look at that. This is the real deal, okay? He used uh, Blue Combo's bath earlier. What was that other thing you said? The other no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, Buffalo's Fontaine bath earlier, okay. But, but this is beautiful. You're not allowed to touch it. It will cost you 70 rand a touch, okay? 
90 rand if it's tonight. But so, this is beautiful, you know. So we grew beards like this. We, now, there were some guys that couldn't grow a beard. You know, they had like stopukis just here at the bottom. Um, but we grew for months. And so we decided we, we're going to blend in. So when we get to Tehran, we, we're going to look like the people there, you know. And so we arrived. Thank you, William. Thank you. Okay, okay. Just, it's, it's nice, eh? Just, do you want to see it from the side? Just like, okay, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Call him Father Abraham. Let's give him a, let's give him a, but, um, so, so, so now we get there to the airport, we arrive, and after a couple of hours, we realize, like, there's nobody that has got beards there, <laughs> so wrong, wrong note, you know, note, no, wrong, you know, so after two days, we went, we, we now was trying to sneak around, get to the shop to just get a shaver, because after a, a day and a half, we shaved off all our beards just to try and blend in with the people, you know, and, and there, you never wear, like, short sleeve shirts, so we went jogging, and, and not, not shorts like this as well, because it's almost like you're running in your underpants. So the one day we tried to go and run in this park, and we came around the corner, and this one lady took her boy's face and, and shoved it into the fence and tried to cover it, and we thought, like, oh, what's wrong with us, you know? And then we realized, like, ooh, we're not blending in with the culture, because it's, it's like you always wear, it doesn't matter where, you wear long shirts and long sleeves, you know? Uh, long sleeves and long pants. And um, it's, it's amazing when you, when you get it so wrong, but even your heart's intention is good. Would you agree with me? Uh, it's called embarrassment. It's called humiliation sometimes. Yeah? And, and sometimes that's exactly what we do in the presence of God. And we don't even always realize that when we come with our entitlement... God, you must do this. And if you don't do that, I'm going to get offended with, the, with you. But it's like you, you're trying to wear other garments or you're trying to fix yourself to come into the presence of God and the Lord says, the only thing that can qualify you is the blood of Jesus, is the provision of what Christ has done. It's called His righteousness. And so... We do that so often with God. Listen to this. Now, what, what is the, the root of humility? Humility is rooted in a trust and complete dependence on God. I love the scripture in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Then he says again, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. <laughs> and he goes on, honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruit of your increase. Honor, bless, trust in the Lord. But we are very, it's difficult for us to trust. And the reason for that is simply because we are so wounded. We are very dysfunctional in the West. And especially if you look at the politicians and what's going on in America. I don't know if you've looked at some of the politics there. It's crazy. It's, it's election time. And, and you think like, it's like a bunch of kindergarten people, you know, going at each other all the time, you know. And you think like, so disrespectful many times. So like, 
But the reason why our society is so broken and wounded is just, hey, because we have been hurt. But if you, it's difficult for you to trust, and that's why we build these defenses or these mechanisms in our lives to cope. And the Lord says, hey, leave that behind. Trust me. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't, don't lean on your own understanding. You know, if, if I come to lean on this thing and, you know, Oh, I must tell you this story. I now remember a story. So we had this one teacher at school, in high school, but he was like, normally all the guys would be sitting, and then this one teacher would always come up, and he would shout and scream before all the other teachers would come into assembly. And so then he would shout at people and be nasty and disrespectful. And then one day, he came to lean like this against the big piano on the stage, and he was like, blah, blah, blah. and the next moment, this the piano collapsed. It just broke. And you just saw him flying over the piano. You saw legs going. He made like a somersault. And then, obviously, it's a boys' school, so everybody was just laughing and canning themselves. When he stood up, his hair that was always combed over his, his head like this was standing on this side, and then we knew we had a pun. What is a pun in English? A pan. Okay, yeah, he's lost some of his hair, like some of you already do, but no, no, but in any case, so, and then it was just like, it was, it was so, it was such, such a humble moment, you know, because he thought he was leaning on something, and then the next moment, kadwa, you know, and you know what, so sometimes we lean on stuff, we lean on our own understanding, we lean on our own culture, or our background, or our bank balance, and that's why in verse 7 it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. A healthy immune system of a Christian is when we humbly fear the Lord. The fear of the, God, the, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. So you need to learn, build into your culture, into your life to be dependent on God. <laughs> Woo. You need, to, you need to actually discipline your life to build in certain things that will make you realize that you're dependent on God. And that's why a thankful life is so important. Write it on the walls. Worship the Lord. Thank Him for the fact that you can be healthy, the fact that you can see, the fact that you can hear. The moment when you step out of thankfulness, you begin to lose focus of how big God is and the testimony of Christ. My question is to you, how lo- when last have you been at the cross? Because once you're there, your response is always worship. But once we become professional Christians, that's when you and I say like, yeah, I've arrived, I've been there, you know. That's, that's like old school, you know. The cross is really like... Yeah, yeah, you know, I've, I've heard that, you know. I've, I've also, I've, I've been at the Gospels, you know. I've read about Jesus, but now I've advanced myself, you know. Woo. You cannot graduate from the cross and serving and being a worshiper. You, you, can't, you can't say like, oh, oh, yeah, I've been there, you know. No, there was a, a guy this week that I spoke to that, that just gave his life to the Lord in this lockdown time. And it is so exciting to talk to people like that. Just like, yo, you know. 
He comes in there and he's just like preaching. Half of the doctrine is skew, half of the stuff is, but and I'm thinking like, oh, where do we start? You know, he's, he's, he's taking some, some stuff of the Old Testament and putting it in the New Testament and some of the New Testament and the Old Testament. I think like, oh, guy, you know, you know, don't worry. Just focus on Jesus, yeah? But that passion, that zealous zeal for God, why do, why do we lose that? Because we sometimes move away from the simplicity in Christ. So the second thing, and we spoke about this the past couple of weeks, and humility is rooted in an awareness of your brokenness and your weaknesses. The ability to begin to boast in it. Now that is completely foreign to our culture. (laughs) Where somebody can stand up and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Think like, what? (laughs) Shh, 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 shh. Yeah, don't say that, you know. And I told the story of John Yip. He's a friend of mine that, you know, a couple of years, I think it was about 10 years ago, we were sitting and there was a group of pastors and then he said like, that's the first time we're meeting each other. And he says, let's introduce ourselves by sharing what you're all weak at, what you, what you really can't do. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to be the worst ever, you know. Because pastors, when they get together, is like, oh, have you opened church yet? Have you started? How many people attended, you know? How big is your what? You know, what is that? And here we have to start by sharing our weaknesses. Yeah. It was the best meeting ever. We actually became good friends. And the reason for that is because, hey, if you're open and you're willing to come to the brokenness in your life, then you can come to wholeness. But if you don't want to face that brokenness and the weakness in your life, then you're always going to pretend. You're always going to be a pretender. You're always going to put on a facade. You're always going to show people on the outside, like, hey, everything is fine. But meanwhile, when you go to bed at night, there's trouble. You can't sleep properly. And if you're not aware of that brokenness, what begins to happen is there's not grace. You, you can't enter into the grace. God, grace is God's enablement. In 2 Corinthians 12, we read this, but li- listen to Paul. He says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, now he's talking about himself here, okay? In case you didn't know that. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is, it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. He's almost talking about a third person here. He's almost talking about somebody else. He says, that man in Christ, you know. Yet of myself, I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure." Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is attracted to your weakness. The fragrance of Christ and the power of Christ will invade your weakness if you will allow him. 
Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. He says, I will boast in it. But more than that, I will begin to learn to take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It is completely different to what the world tells you. The world tells you, Everything on the outside, that's what matters. Show the world the nice stuff on the outside, but don't show them your heart, your contrast. Don't show them your weakness. Don't go there. They're going to crush you. They're going to like, don't, 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 no, no, no. And Christ says, come, show me your weakness. I'm, I'm attracted. Because once you begin to open up, once you begin to say yes to what he wants to do, then you are made strong. You, you're not supposed to be a super Christian. You're not supposed to do Jesus' PR work, work. And that's why the, many of the people out there, they're not attracted to church. They're not attracted to Christians because they say, hey, you are all hypocrites. You are, you are shining holy, okay? You are lightly holy, you know? You're portraying something on the outside, but what's happening on the inside? But trust is difficult for us. Come on. How many of you struggle to trust? Sometimes you think like, yeah, I'm a bit suspicious of these people in church because they just look too happy, you know? How can you smile like that, you know? Even behind the mask all the time, you know? There must be something wrong with them. That's how I got saved. There was a teacher at school, yeah, and I was like the issue chairman. I was going for it, and I was thinking like, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I told the test me once, you know, one of... My friends then, Kornay Krieg, who was the Springwell Cup captain, once asked me, like, how do I know that I can go to heaven? I said, just read your Bible. And I laid awake the whole night thinking about, am I really sure that I'm going to heaven? And I didn't know. I had all the knowledge here. Issue chairman of the school. And then came this teacher. And he was smiling, and he was worshiping, and he was taking pleasure in you know, stuff that was going wrong in his life. And he just said, but I'm a son of God. And I thought, like, you must be fake. You can't be so full of joy when there's, like, bad stuff happening in your life, you know? So for six months, I stalked him. <laughs> Not like in a negative stalk, okay? So don't quote me on that one. But I, I was like... I was checking out. Sometimes I looked through the little window and I was checking and they were sitting just worshiping Lord. I thought like, there must be something wrong with this guy. This guy must be fake. There must be something. And after six months, I realized he's the real deal <laughs> because his joy doesn't come from better circumstances. His joy comes from his righteousness in Christ. And he would sit there on, on, his, on his floor and just worship the Lord with his guitar and then he would lie on his face with yeah, no, nobody even seeing him, you know. And on the 4th of April, 1989, I walked into his life. I said, Mr. Smith, the Jesus that you serve and the Jesus that I serve is not the same Jesus. I want to know that one. I went down on my knees. I said, I want to know that one. 30 years ago. Sure. So if you ask my age, I'm, I'm 30 years old, okay? That's it. Finished, okay? Why are you laughing? So let's go back to the book of Philippians because 
God is attracted to your brokenness. He's attracted to humble people. He says he will give grace to the humble. That's what he shared a couple of weeks ago. But he will resist the proud. Because pride says I'm independent. I'm going to fix my life. I'm going to do it my way. And let me have a couple of hands here. Yeah? How many of you through the lockdown realized that your family and the friends that you lived with, with has got some issues? Raise your hand. How many of you saw things pop up that you thought like, oh, that's ugly? <laughs> you better go for counseling. Oh, no, 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 no. You better go for deliverance. <laughs> go live in that street. <laughs> yeah, it's called deliverance. But in any case, so how many of you realize like you are part of the problem? Okay, all those who didn't raise their hand, stand up, come to the front and repent of pride, okay? Because you have obviously not seen it yet. <laughs> you at the center of that problem. All your, you know, because like the best stuff comes out. Yeah, yeah, it's so nice. The first three, oh, family's so nice. And then World War Three broke out. <laughs> I'm going to kill him. <laughs> then like, ah, yeah. Because suddenly, especially those first couple of weeks when this stuff, it's just amazing how people reacted, you know? Some just ran into the mountains. We, we, we get so easy to get distracted because we don't want the spotlight to, to focus on us, eh? We, 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 don't want, we, we really don't want God to come close to us. And, and I tell you, and I've said it before, we think that things are going to get better, but unless the Christians in the West turn back to God, humble ourselves, this season will continue for many years. Don't think that when the virus is gone, the season will be gone. Because this is an opportunity for pruning. This is an opportunity to render our hearts, to humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and repent, I will come in and heal their land. God is waiting for us. And some of us have become mastermind players. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. <laughs> no, humble yourself. Listen to Philippians 1, the beautiful words of Paul. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. This is the letter he sends back to them. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's writing from prison. He's just received a gift from them, and it's not, not nice where he is at the moment. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who's doing the work? Jesus. Who will complete the work in your life? Jesus. He says, I thank, I thank the Lord. Just when I remember you, when I think of you, I just so want to be, but I'm, I'm praying for you with all joy. And I thank the Lord for your fellowship in the gospel. That you're continuing strong, that's what he says. Verse 7, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. So, so it's really like a, I love the, always the first 
letter or the first chapter and the last chapter of the books. It's very personal. Yeah? There's only a few that he's not writing personal messages to. Just as it's right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are all partakers with me of grace. So he's sitting there in chains, in prison. He's not drinking pineapple drink, drinks with the angels. He's not like just hula hoo in the Maldives and going to the Seychelles. He's in prison. This is what he's writing. He says, I've, I'm praying. I've, I've got this joy in my heart. I'm thankful for you. And even when I'm in chains, let it be an encouragement to you. Because, <laughs> hey, this is part of the partakers of grace. Because God has graced me. I'm, I've stepped into his grace even when I'm in prison. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more. And more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may discern, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he's writing this amazing letter, and he's, he's sharing his heart, and he says, I've, I've got this, this amazing praise for you, and I've got this desire for you, and, and, and you're partaking of that grace. And I pray that you'll grow in your love. But more than that, in knowledge and in discernment. That you'll be able to see what times you're living in and where you are. At and your love will abound in these two things, in knowledge and discernment, verse 9. And that you also may approve, that you may test. Because there's going to be tests in your life. There's going to be challenges in front of you. And God will put some tests in front of you and see, hey, grow up, Christian. Grow up. And so here is this father writing to them, and he says, look at my life. Look at why I'm responding in prison. But that puts a demand on your life as a Christian to grow up and stop your entitlement, stop throwing around all your tantrums, stop being an emotional Christian all the time, stop moving from one event to another. Get into Christ. <laughs> that you may abound in that love, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That sincerity is a, if you are sincere, it means you have a pure heart. You, you, have, a, you have a heart that, that is always honoring and celebrating. You have a purity in the way that you look at God and you look at the people around you. And that you're without offense. And next week, we're going to talk a bit about that, that Jesus is either going to be a stumbling stone or a rock of offense in your life. What does that mean? There's a lot of people that are being offended, and God is allowing that offense so that you can grow in love, discernment. He says, but I pray that, that in this time, in persecution that's going to come upon you, because that's what he said, that you will grow in this place, but that you will... Keep that childlikeness. You'll keep a sincerity. <laughs> and you know, that's what's so amazing about children, you know. Children forgive so easily. You say like, hey, please, I've, I've done something wrong. And they say like, are yeah, you forgiven? When? Yesterday. Like, huh? We as adults like, oh, I harbor. I harbor offense. Because, hey, the pastor didn't greet me at the door. 
But he greeted that one more than me. It's obviously. And now all your rejection issues come out. Come on. We like, we like have these radars up upon people around us and then so easily we just jump to conclusions and we forget the motivation of people's hearts around us. And that's why just a tip, if you are a Christian, if God does something small or something big, write it in a journal, write it in a book somewhere, have a testimony book somewhere. And whenever you feel depressed, you go back to that book. <laughs> you just write, you remind yourself of how good God is. <laughs> Because we forget. We get so bitter sometimes. We get offended. We, we, we live in a world that sets us up in offense. And I said, even John the Baptist, you know, the one day he says, Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, the next day, he's in prison and he sends his own disciples to say, go and find if Jesus is really the Messiah. And then Jesus says, there's never been somebody greater than John the Baptist. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You see, offense comes out of a hardness of heart. Offense comes when we have not yielded our woundedness to Jesus, but we've taken and tried to save ourselves, our unrighteousness. Now we are hardened in heart and we begin to react and we begin to judge others around us and we fall into pride and bitterness and envy and jealousy and strife and all these things. Why? Because We've allowed the sincerity of our hearts to be stolen from us. That's why all across the world, you know what the devil wants? He wants to pervert small children. Because the moment when he can, especially in your sexuality, pervert you and make you exposed to stuff like pornography and stuff at an early age, what begins to happen? That purity, that sincerity begins to be stolen, begins to be taken away. And suddenly you're exposed to stuff that you were never exposed to, supposed to be exposed to. And then it's so easy to have a cold heart. And that's the sign of the end times. Many will grow cold in their love. That's what Timothy and in Thessalonians is written to us. Some of you are getting very cold. <laughs> Listen to this. 2021, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Just never again wear short pants to church, okay? It's winter still, people. Gautengers, some of you are like, <gasps> and it's not because of conviction. I can just see, <laughs> especially two people here right in front, you know? Pastor George and Luan. But in any case, so, the people are like, <laughs> And so, so Paul writes this in that, that last verse, verse 21, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, hey, do you know actually? Dying is for me a more reality to be with Jesus. I just live here for the sake of the calling of my life. Yo. Are you all still with me? So here we go to the nation of Iran, and um, <clears throat> we um, go to this place, and on the internet, uh, one of the pastors there is, is actually um, on, the, on the internet tonight watching this testimony that went, went to visit them. Hi. <laughs> but in any case, so... Um, and so here we go, and for two or three days, we're just walking around, and, and we just 
like crazy, you know, and now we need to check that nobody's following us and all that stuff. But long story short, eventually we ended up in this home where we stayed for six days just to pray. And so the first day we, we get there, now the, it's not like they don't have church like us, it's persecuted. It's one of the highest persecuted countries in the world. And so church there is completely different, you know. You don't just get invited to church, you must first like go through a series of counting the cost to be able to come to church. Not anybody can just come to church. And once you get baptized, that's the end. That's your death certificate. Once you say yes to get baptized, it's over. Most of the churches, they are run by ladies. And we're going to show a short clip now. And so, so here we go. And the Lord says, you, you're going to pray. You need to intercede. And we're thinking like, yeah, great, you know. Let's do spiritual warfare one to four. Or how many credits do you get for e e economics first semester, first year? No, Benjamin, you're engineer. Who's first year? Yeah, JP. Is it eight credits? Do you still have credits? JP Clausen. No. You look as if you don't know what you're talking about. 16. 16. Oh, it's multiplied. Okay, 16 credits for your first year. And I said, like, like, oh, I've done that course, you know. So here we go. We are going to intercede. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray for that church, you know, which is the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing churches in the world today. It's in China, Iran, Afghanistan, places like that. We're not really the church, by the way. <laughs> We're part of the church. But God is moving in many other places. And it's not necessarily in the West or in, the, in Europe. That should humble us. So stop listening to everything that comes out of America. They're not the leaders of the church. Oops. But in any case, so, so here we go. And... Um, Lord says, you're going to intercede. So we get there with our guitar, day two. And the morning when we woke up, that's not after we shaved our beards and got long pants on. In the house, the Lord says, today you're not going to pray with words. You're going to pray with tears, with your tears. Now, for a group of men, you think like, ha, huh? you know? <laughs> Bring out the onions. <laughs> Do something, but in any case. So, so here we go, and we start to worship. Now, there's a lady that didn't understand a word of English. She was sitting in the corner. She was fasting for 21 days to get baptized. And we eventually baptized her on day 21 of her fast, just water fast in the, in the bathtub. But she's just starting to weep as we just worship the Lord. Just the privilege of being able to worship together. She's sitting in the corner in the kitchen. And the next moment, the one guy that I did not expect to start to cry, he just starts to howl. And I'm thinking like, this is so embarrassing. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit says, will you humble yourself and allow me to use you of what my heart feels for this nation? And eventually we weep for three hours, but not like, not like good men do. <laughs> oh, high fever. 
we howled, you know. That for two days after that, we were like vegetables. We were just sitting around because we just didn't have any energy left. So ladies, I've got great respect for you. You can cry, stand up the next day and be yourself again. And I think like, whoa, you know. I felt like the truck has driven over me, the train reversed over me and, you know. And then I got punched with a rhino, you know, and I'm thinking like, ladies, how can you do this, you know? One day is enough for three years, but in any case, I felt like there was so much water coming out, I didn't even know. I said like, put on the tap, just leave open the tap, let it come through, you know, that was like, but in any case, so that was just my thoughts. But the point I'm trying to make is we were just weeping. We didn't pray one word. Because there's a space that God wants to take you to. It's called travail sometimes. It's the ability to yield yourself, all your brokenness to God and say, God, it's not my fancy words that are going to change you or shift your heart. It's my surrender. Will you show that clip quickly? We're going to... How many of you give him five more minutes? Any Ryan, my- five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 20. Okay. Lots. Okay. Just quickly and then we're going to do one more slide. Muslim background believers are leading masses of people out of Islam and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2, tells the story of what's called the Iranian Awakening. Released this week, the film chronicles this rapidly growing discipleship movement, which has no property, no central leadership, and is led primarily by women. Take a look. So first thing is, in Iran, we know a country where Syria was serving the Islamic Republic of Iran. We don't know if we can get them to be able to 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 get them to be able and this is the decision that we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. Thank you. I was for the I'm going to be on that together. Because I have to stop when I wake up planning that door, I might not come back. So I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to stop. And I've talked to my husband, and we made an agreement that this is the decision of our lives. So if we leave that door, we don't come back. We accept the consequences of what happened. Powerful. Dalton Thomas, one of the producers for Sheep Among Wolves 2, is here now to tell us more about this amazing movement. Dalton, first... You say this is a movement led by women. Tell us more about that. Yeah, the configuration of the leadership of the church in Iran, one, it's massively reproducing. It's just explosive. Uh, The statistics of it are are undeniable. Um, Those who are tracking the statistics of it also have noted that the predominant leadership component of the church in Iran is female. Now, uh, there's a lot of reasons behind this, but the, the fact, it, it, as just a standalone fact with all the components connected to it, is that behind the veil, something profound is going on inside of Iran. How dangerous is it, though, for a woman if she's caught leading a group of Jesus followers? I and mean, clearly, your video depicts this is a dangerous thing. <laughs> Yeah, there it's very dangerous. So the death, imprisonment, torture, rape, it's in terms of 
evangelism, discipleship, church planting. One of the, the language that the Iranian church uses is that converts run away from persecution, disciples face it and die for the Lord. So the way that they explain it is we're not interested in, in church planting or making converts. What we're interested in is, is seeing a decentralized, rapidly reproducing discipleship movement that puts the yoke of responsibility on every believer as soon as they come in contact with Jesus through vicariously through his followers in the land. And so this is why it's running like wildfires, because it's going from woman to woman. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it's predominantly female led is because the women are engaging the women and it's 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 running out of control. It's like the woman at the well, you know, in mm-hmm. John four, she it, it exploded because she went back to her village and the gospel spread like fire. Well, Dalton, how big would you say this movement is? Are we talking thousands, tens of thousands? Much bigger than that. Much bigger than that. Wow. What impact would you say this movement is having on the nation of Iran as a whole? I think the best way to explain it is there's two Irans. There's the Iran that you see in the news, which is the regime. It's everything that you hear in the news. But then there's the actual country, the actual Iranian people. And then within that larger group of the Iranian people is the Iranian underground church. And these people, they love Israel. They love the United States. They love the West. They hate the regime. They hate Islam. They hate is radical Islam. They they hate the oppression of their leaders. It's a, it's a completely different. Once we started coming in contact with it, we thought, oh my gosh, this is not what you you've been led to believe in the media at all. I think to answer your question, we're going to wake up one day and realize that in the same way that China flipped 100 years ago and went from being the largest unreached people group in the world to being the largest church in the world, the same thing is happening today in Iran, as well as Afghanistan and a number of other countries around Iran. So it's flipping. We're going to wake up here in a couple of years and realize that the, the, the center of God's activity is not the West. It very much is the Middle East. And Iran is going to be at the tip of the spear of leading the next generation of what it looks looks like to follow Messiah. What about the government? Are they taking action against these new believers, these new converts? Yeah, of course. I mean, it was in the news even a few weeks ago, the Interior Ministry held a meeting about it to talk about it. Um, I mean, since Ahmadinejad till present time, the government has been trying to figure out what to do with it, because the problem with the Iranian church is that you know, it because it's decentralized, there's no buildings, there's no 501c3s, there's no bank accounts, there's no property, there's no assets, you can't kill it. So even if you arrest people, you execute people, even if you torture people, all it does is it makes the church grow even more because it shows the people the true face of the regime, number one, but it also gives an opportunity to display the wonder of who Jesus is by doing what Paul said, which is filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings in our own body. So the Iranian people are watching this this element of persecution, which is why the Iranian church is asking us not to pray that persecution ends. They're asking that the Lord would continue to use persecution to flip the country into what could potentially be the, the leading church globally in the next generation, which is a profound idea. And Dalton, you've been there to document it all. Tell us about this film, Sheep Among Wolves, and what you hope to accomplish. So my question is, if we are humble, and we will acknowledge that maybe 
we're not the center point of where God is moving at the moment. That there's many other people we can learn from. Then, then we can jump to chapter 2 of Philippians because humility is then learning to live in the light, learning to live in accountability, relationships, in submission, in true discipleship. Listen to how he says this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. Remember what, you read in the, what we read in the first chapter? Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. And we saw it means like put other people's interests above your own. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then this amazing part of describing the humility of Christ. And so it takes great humility, and I'm... I want to do two things to end off this evening. The one is to tell you again of the, a lady that came to visit me two weeks ago, and Stefani, I don't know if she's here, she was here this morning. She sat in as we, this lady was sharing about a child, Ilze is her name, the, the son is five years old, and the son has, since lockdown, have consecutive dreams of the end times. Five years old, and he's dreaming amazing dreams exactly like in the book of Daniel, exactly like in the book of Revelations, and he has never read it. Five year old. And he's warning the church to say, Hey, wake up, church in the West. <laughs> Little five year old. And so God is busy preparing a next generation for spiritual things that we have not seen. And it's going to take great humility because we will miss the move of God if you and I assume that it must be us. It, it must be shofar. If, if it's not shofar, then if it's not orange, then it's not God. <laughs> but the crazy thing is you... When you and I embrace God's move, then maybe it will happen through a five-year-old. Did you know that there are 14-year-olds that are leading churches of over 10,000 people in Indonesia today? The biggest Muslim country in the world. So then suddenly you don't begin to say like, yo, 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 you know, he hasn't got a seven-year theology degree, so God can obviously not use him. He hasn't got, been like the disciples, so God cannot use him. <laughs> The crazy part is God uses any people that are humble and especially the kids that's coming. That's why there's a massive onslaught on the next generation of kids to keep them distracted, to make them aware of the supernatural, the negative. Have you seen the movies lately? Have you seen the computer games lately? Full of demons and just making it sort of like just normal. So we're living in a season, and the good news is that God wants to prepare that people. And yes, we need good theology. Yes, we need the truth. <laughs> yes, we need people to stand up and say, hey, that's deception or that's a lie or whatever. But don't assume that God will use you or me. God will use anybody that will just say, hey, Lord, here I am. Have you read the story of David? 
If you read the story of Joseph, if you read the story of Daniel and Abraham and Esther and Deborah, God uses ordinary people that are humble and yielded to Him. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.